a great day this is. What a wonderful day it is to be in the presence of Jesus, to realize, like Faye said, that we are in the presence of a risen Savior, the risen Savior. He's no longer dead. He's alive. He is alive. He really is. And by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is here in the midst. And my prayer today is that our hearts would be open, our hearts would be ready to receive the Word that the Holy Spirit just simply wants to impart into us. I pray that it would go beyond the hearing of our ear, and it would, it would seed itself into the depths of our heart, and the outcome of it and the outgrowth of it would be wonderful, would be blessed, would be of God. That is my prayer today. And it's only God's Word that can change our life. Nothing that I say. I can talk about my experience. You can talk about your experience, and that's good. We can get encouragement from that. But that in and of itself will never change us. It will bless us. It will encourage us. It will maybe further us along our way in some shape or form, but it is only God's living Word in the heart of a human being that can ever bring about any lasting change and any resemblance to the Lord that we love and the Lord that we serve. You know, I often think I get so encouraged when I see a little caterpillar crawling on the ground. Have you ever watched a little caterpillar along the ground? And it's crawling in the dirt. And it doesn't look as if that caterpillar has got any other future other than to crawl on the ground. It doesn't look as if there's anything else other than what it's in. But we all know that as that caterpillar goes into a chrysalis state, as it goes into that inactive place of chrysalis, suddenly that little caterpillar that has grown up crawling on the ground, eating the dirt, suddenly from that chrysalis emerges this beautiful butterfly, this beautiful creature that soars that flies, that's so graceful, that's so beautiful and elegant, so detailed by design. But you would never, ever believe when you look at the little caterpillar crawling on the ground that it's got any future in front of it other than to be earthbound. And very often, you know, when I think about that, I often understand that the Christian life is like that too. Sometimes we, we ask Jesus into our heart in a moment of decision, in a moment of trust and faith, and suddenly we find a new peace, we find a new life, we find this desire, this inward desire to follow Him. But we come in very often rough cut. We come in very often following Jesus with lots of areas in our lives that are still out of sync with Him. We find a lot of areas that are still out of line with what He wants and what we want. But very often, it's very much 
The Christian experience and even church experience can be very much like that little butterfly that doesn't, th- that, little, that little caterpillar that doesn't think that it's got any other higher design for its life. But then suddenly, as you just keep patiently following Jesus, as you just keep patiently walking out your faith and your simple trust with Him, something supernatural happens. Something changes within you. Areas begin to be transformed that you thought could never be touched. Areas that you may have battled with, areas that you may have struggled with, areas that you thought, man, I'm always going to be defeated by this anger. I'm always going to be overcome by fear. I'm always going to be the depressive type. There's always going to be a rain cloud over my head. Suddenly, the sentence of that old life starts to let go of you. It can hold you back no longer because suddenly the life and the power and the energy and the love of God starts to break out of your heart and your spirit, and it begins to overcome areas of rejection, overcome areas of, of sin and addiction and habit, and you become this person that is reflecting God's glory and God's life and God's plan and purpose for you. is beginning to emerge within you, and you begin to fly and soar and reign in life. And you're no longer conquered by the old habits that once conquered you, that you hid away secretly from other people because you were ashamed of them. Now you can come out into the open because you're a victor, not a victim. This is what the life of Jesus does. This is what the power of the Holy Spirit, the helper that Jesus has promised to each and every one of us enables us to do. And it's not self-effort, and it's not self-discipline, and it's not what we can do and the work that we can achieve. It's what He's achieved, you see. And you begin to understand. But sometimes it seems as if it's a slow process. It seems as if for year after year you're crawling in the dust like that little caterpillar, and it looks as if your future isn't going anywhere. But mark my words, it's not dependent. You see, your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Not the price of silver and gold, but the price of precious blood. And therefore, the price that's been paid for your life, for your transformation, is paid in full. And believe me, God is going to do His full work in you and me, and we are going to reflect everything that the Bible talks, talks of regarding our lives. When you look at the, the disciples that follow Jesus, and I've been just looking at this over the last few months, you look at the lives of the disciples that Jesus chose to be with Him. Man, they were a mixed bag of guys. A mixed bag of characters. They all had their hiccups. They all had their past. They all had their failures. They all had their characters that they were dragging around with them 
And all of them had issues and problems and needs, struggles. And as you begin to read and see and look into their lives as they were with Jesus, those needs and those issues surface. They were on a journey. Just like that little but that just like that little caterpillar was on a journey to become a butterfly. These disciples were on a journey with Jesus to become everything he had created them to be. They didn't realize it, but he did. He did. And every event and every circumstance and every difficulty that he exposed them to was all preparatory for everything that he had designed them to be. Sometimes they recoiled in fear. Sometimes they ran away and said, we can't take it anymore. Sometimes they just wanted to go back to their fishing nets and say, it's all over. I can't take following you. You're taking us forward into things that we never, ever imagined we would go into. Sometimes there were days where they just gave up. But Jesus, you see, never gave up on them. You may be having a give-up day today. You may be saying, do you know what? I've had it with church. I've had it with Christians. I've had it with Jesus. That's okay. That's okay. Many, many people in the Bible have been where you have been. It's absolutely fine to have your give-up day. But God doesn't give up on you. and He will get you through. You just got to trust Him. You see, the Bible says this. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord, but the Lord orders his steps. You can plan to do this, that, and the other, but I'm telling you now, there's a sovereign God in heaven because he loves you. He will order your steps. He will get you through. And even when fear and, and depression and rejection causes you to back off and say, I can go no further, God will order your steps to get you on through and to bring you into everything that he's designed for your life. You've come too far to turn back now. You've, you've come too far with God to let it all go because he loves you. Now, the disciples were on an incredible journey with Jesus. And a, a number of weeks ago, I began to speak about the essential ingredient to building a healthy church. Really, there's only one ingredient that you need in a church to make it healthy. I think we all know what that is, but we're going to explore that a little more this morning. I'm going to continue on this theme of what is the essential ingredient to building a healthy church, to building a healthy life, to having a successful future. Do you know what? God wants every single one of us to succeed. He really does in life. 
You say, well, I'm not sure whether God's into success. Let me tell you something now. If God was into your defeat, you wouldn't be here this morning. God is into your victory. God is into your success. God is into making you the head and not the tail above and not beneath. And that's Old Testament. Let me tell you what the New Testament says. He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. God's into you succeeding. God's into you thriving. God's into you being abundantly blessed. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Not a life of defeat not a life of poverty, but a life of abundance. He said the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's into your failure. He's into your defeat. He's into conquering you and keeping you down and locking your potential up. But Jesus said, I've come. You might have life, and that life inside you cannot be conquered because it's his life. The essential ingredient to building a healthy church, to building a healthy life. Let's look at it. In John chapter 13, Jesus is talking to His disciples. And before we go to these verses, we can keep them up on the screen. Before we go to the two verses that I want to get to this morning in John chapter 13, there's a lot happening in this room. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, This was the last night that Jesus was having around the table with His disciples. And I honestly believe that Jesus had waited for three years to get the disciples to this moment. I believe, my personal belief, it was pre-planned. It was ordered. It was ordained. It was there waiting for the disciples to come into, and Jesus had waited three years for this moment to arrive. And finally, they're in the room, and they walk in from a hard day, and the customary thing was to wash feet. But nobody was volunteering for the job. Why? Because in the afternoon, they had been having a huge argument with each other. Who's the greatest? Who's the one among us that's going to succeed? Jesus. Sigmund Freud said this, there's a base human desire that drives every single human being, the desire to be great. And sometimes that desire to be great eclipses all other things where human beings will stand on another to get up the ladder. It's a base human need. Before Sigmund Freud ever wrote his psychological words, Jesus, talking about greatness, said, if you want to become the greatest, you have to become the least, the servant of all. You see, our world has an idea of greatness that's very different to the kingdom idea of greatness. And Jesus turns everything on its head. Even the current trends of his time, where power was in army and nation, and Jesus humbly comes as God in the flesh and reveals his kingdom and reveals his value and reveals his priority. If you want to be great, he says, you have to become the least. And these men in the afternoon had raged over who was going to be the greatest. 
James and John had sent their mother to Jesus. Jesus, come one of my boys sit on your right hand and one of my boys sit on your left hand. What is that? That is a base human need, a desire to be great, to be significant. But the heart and the motive was not right. It wasn't clean. They were jockeying for position. One was trying to get above another. And there was all this in-house fighting. But that was okay. Because Jesus wanted to get them to a moment where he could really teach them. Jesus wanted to get them into a room. It was all a setup. It was where the little ugly caterpillar of their lives was going to go into a hidden chrysalis of inactivity. But in that inactivity, they would meet the power and the Spirit of God. And suddenly, these men that were uncut, these men that, that were, were hardened and in attitude and in heart would suddenly come out of that chrysalis and the church would be formed in beauty, in wonder, in elegance, and it would fly to all nations of the world. Jesus was getting them to this moment, and they sat in the room together, and not one of them could even take the towel and the bowl in service of his brother. It was there before them, but not one of them took it up. Why? Because they were so intent in getting above each other that they couldn't even love one another. Jesus comes in and he sees the opportunity. What a glorious opportunity. You see, when you're free, you will see other things that people don't see. You will look at life in a way that others don't look at it in. And he seizes that opportunity. It's too good to waste. It's too good an opportunity to leave. And he takes the towel and the bowl. And he lays aside his own robe. And he begins to wash their feet. He does the unthinkable. Why? Because he's the greatest in the room. So he can do it. If you want to be the greatest, you've got to become the least. And he's practicing his own words. His own spirit is moving among them and demonstrating it before them in a way that they couldn't imagine. And he takes the heel of his betrayer that would raise itself against him and he washes it tenderly and he serves even Judas. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't reveal that Judas is going to be the one that betrays him. He washes Peter's feet. Peter objects. Jesus does something to Peter that Peter violently opposes. You'll never wash my feet. Jesus, uh, Peter says to Jesus, what was Jesus doing? He was bringing Peter to a crossroads. A crossroads. He brings every single one of us to a crossroads. I'm telling you now, the more you follow Jesus down through the years, you will come to crossroad after crossroad. And 
He will bring you to a point of decision. He'll bring you to a place where he'll say, Dave, Faye, I need you to come this way. And that may rise or cause objection within us. We can't go that way, Jesus. We don't want to do that, Jesus. Crossroads time. Crossroads time. He said to Peter, Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, you have no part with me. I mean, that's, that's blunt language. Peter, is this the end of the road then? We've been together for three years. You've seen everything about me. You've heard me speak. You've seen unconditional love demonstrated to multitudes of people. Is this the end of the road, Peter? Are you going back to your career? Are you going back, Peter, to where I found you and where I called you? I've told you you're going to be a fisher of men. I've told you that upon the revelation that you w was given to you from heaven, that I will build my church on that revelation that I am the Christ. But is this the end of the road on this last night, Peter? Is it the end of the road? He'll do it. He'll do it. And Peter suddenly realizes the moment and the seriousness of it. He says, Lord, not just my feet, my whole head, my hands. And Jesus said, listen, I just need to do your feet. Thank God for that. <laughs> and then he begins to teach them and speak to them. But I want to pick up on just this verse. I encourage you to read John chapter 13. I've read it many times. Oh, God, it's awesome. It's so awesome. Do you know, I feel overwhelmed when I read the Bible. So overwhelmed. It's so real. It's like entering, entering in it, into it. It's awesome. Read it, read it, read it, read it. Stay on it for the rest of this year. Just keep reading it. He comes to this moment and he says this to them. John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. A new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. These men had grown up in a very strict religious environment where every Sabbath day 
And every waking day was filled with strict law, observances and rituals and ceremonies that were very formal and very strict. You couldn't find God outside them. And suddenly Jesus here in the privacy of this room on the last night, he said, now a new commandment I give you. This new commandment was making obsolete the previous ten. This was not the eleventh commandment, and it wasn't a bolt-on to the ten commandments that are found in Exodus. Suddenly, when he issued this, the law became obsolete, obsolete. And if you want to check that out, read all of the epistles of Paul, and you'll see it. Jesus brought fulfillment to the law, the only one that could, and as a result of bringing fulfillment of the law, he set us free from it in order to live the new command, a life of love. Simple, simple. Only he could do it. But he says, a new command I give to you. For three and a half, four thousand years, they had been in an environment that had been so heavy, so bound by law, so bound by ritual, so strict in observances. And suddenly now Jesus is bringing an end to all of that in relation to the church that he would build. And he says, this is the new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. He didn't say love others as I have loved you. That would come later. But he kept it in the room. He kept it in the room where all the contention was, where all the conflict was, where all the arguments was for greatness and prominence and significance. He kept it in the room. He said, boys, if you can crack it here, if you can love one another as I have loved you so unconditionally, so loyally, so sincerely, if you can get it right here in this room with all of these arguments and all of these quarrels and all of this in-house fighting, if you can get it right here, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples. He didn't say, look outside the room, boys. This is the new command that I'm giving you. Love others outside and beyond yourselves. No, he said, in the room where all the arguments are, where all the fighting is, this is where the power of God's love has got to work. Amen. Amen. And as we understand this, as we embrace this, I'm telling you, you'll never be defeated. You'll always walk victorious. You see, the disciples' eyes were on, who's the one? And Jesus takes their eyes off it completely and says, it's not about the one, it's about the one another. In that one statement, he gave value to every human being. Isaiah said, the high places will come down 
and be lowered. He said the valleys will come up and everything will be on a level plain. He wasn't talking about geographical mountains and valleys. He was talking about equality for people everywhere as a result of God's kingdom coming. Everyone is equal. Everyone has value. There's not any high society and low society in God's eyes. The Bible says that God looks at every man without partiality. And James warns us. He said, don't put the beggars at the back and the rich people at the front. Everyone is equal. Everyone in God's kingdom. Why? Because God is love. God is love. Oh, how he loves us so much. Oh, if we could only understand the love that God has for a human life. We would never, ever be the same again. And this spirit, he unfurls to them. This spirit, he displays before them on the night, on the night that he was going to be betrayed. The worst night, but he comes out so victorious. He comes out unmoved by the plots that had gone on. And the exchange of money that Judas had done with the high priest to set him up. And the false witnesses had all been put in their place ready to pronounce him guilty. But Jesus is completely unmoved. How is it possible that a man can stand in in the presence of his betrayer, in the presence of one that's going to deny and curse his name, and act so calmly, act so peaceably? I'll tell you why it's possible. Because the same Lord that stood on the sea and calmed the storms. (laughs) Woo! He's awesome! He's wonderful, Jesus! The same one can stand in a room where men are trying to mishandle his life and be completely calm and collected. Why? Because that's what love can do. That's love. This is the power of this love. You know, it's not some kind of soppy MTV kind of Love we're talking about. This is powerful. This is the love of God, man. It's indescribable. It is indescribable. But I'm telling you, as it begins to permeate our lives, you begin to see actions come out of yourself and words come out and attitudes displayed that you never thought possible. This is what the love of God can do. Jesus said a new command. A new command I give to you. The law was etched on tablets of stone, given on a mountain that nobody could approach. But love sat at a table, had men in a room, intimately talked to them, connected with them, didn't reject them, knew what was in them, 
knew the depravity of heart and mind and attitude that had taken hold of them but didn't reject them but received them because he knew that the caterpillar crawling on the ground was going to be transformed into a beautiful, glory, glorious butterfly. Ecclesiastes tells us something wonderful about God when it says, He makes all things beautiful in its time. It takes time. It takes time. Be patient with that addiction that has got a hold of you. Be patient. That ugly thought, that attitude, that way of life that you've battled with, and you said, Lord, I won't give in to temptation anymore, and suddenly the promise under the, under, under the pressure of the moment breaks, and suddenly you're in the mud and you're in the mire like a pig reveling in that sin. And after you come out of it, you feel so guilty, you feel so rejected, you, you feel like a failure that you've left God and God's left you. No, He makes all things beautiful in its time. God is graceful. God is forgiving. God is love. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You're going to get there. And you're going to be everything that he's created you to be. I'm going to ask James to come. Oh, man. God is so good. A new command. A new command. I give to you. Boys, it's not about being the one. Your future's in one another. Your future's among one another. If you can get this right, if you can love one another as I have loved you, your future is going to unfold and reveal my life in a glorious way and the world, the onlooking world are going to know that you're my disciples. But Jesus, we've seen you do miracles. Can we have a ministry like that? That's not how the world are going to know that you're my disciples. But Jesus, you preached such great revelation. Jesus, you've multiplied food. Jesus, you've raised the dead. That's not how the world are going to know you're my disciples. It's far greater than any physical miracle. It's far greater, far more magnificent than any raising of the dead or walking on water or any other. I've reserved this moment for the last hour of our meeting if you love one another as I have loved you, the world will know that you are my disciples. This word new gives us an understanding into 
the life and the dynamic of what Jesus wants for every single one of us. The word new that Jesus used means unused, unworn, uncommon, unprecedented, never done or known before, unused, unexpected. They are all elements of this life, this love that Jesus wants us to live in and the position that he wants us to live from. He doesn't want us arguing. He doesn't want us fighting. He doesn't want us criticizing. He doesn't want us backbiting. He doesn't want us carrying. See, it's that stuff that weighs us down. It's that stuff that breaks our wings. It's that stuff that keeps you bound and low and without any peace. But he wants this newness of life, this new untried way of living that only he can give us access to, to be our experience of life. Unused, it's brand new. Unworn, it's ready for you and I. Uncommon. You won't find this in some bargain basement. You won't find this in the old world out there where it's dog eat dog. It's an unprecedented life that's never been known before. But Jesus said, this is the new command that I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. Finally, Ephesians. Is it Ephesians? No, Romans. I think it's Romans. Romans 5, verse 3 to verse 4 says this, and do not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Any more? Yeah. Now, hope does not disappoint because, listen, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, we may be looking around in our hearts trying to find this love, trying to find where the deposit is, the verse before us tells us that you need some tests and some tribulations and some hardships and some difficulties to activate this love. And maybe today you've been going through a tough time. Maybe today you've said some things that now maybe you realize you shouldn't have said. Maybe today you've you've acted in a way that you realize you shouldn't have acted. You've slandered somebody. You've gossiped about somebody. Do you know what? 
maybe just retrace your steps, go up to that person and say, listen, I'm sorry for saying the things that I said. I'm sorry for acting in the way that I acted. You say, I'm never going to do that. Listen, in the moment that you do do it, peace will be restored. You'll find a release of, a, I don't know how it works, but it works. It works. I've had to apologize more as a pastor than, when I was be, than before I was a pastor. My goodness me. Do you think I can hide behind a title? Do you think I can hide behind a position? you got another thing coming. If I do something wrong, if I step out of line, if I talk to one of you in a way that I shouldn't talk to you, if I've got an attitude, in fact, recently I had to po apologize to two people in this church. And you know what they said? Ah, oh, it's okay, Dave. Absolutely fine. I have got no problem. I don't think I have anyway. Apologizing. It's hard though. But I tell you now, I would, I would prefer to humble myself and to... to you know, to, to retrace my steps than live without the peace of God. Come on, man. Maybe you've got to apologize to somebody. Just go ahead and do it. It's no big deal. But what comes as a result of it is a big deal. Your peace, your sleep at night. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Years ago now, I remember working in engineering and really... You know, I was, uh, I was on that journey, attitudes and thoughts in my mind that were raging, that I thought were as a result of Jesus being in my life, but they weren't. And one day I remember getting into, well, it, it happened over a number of weeks, me and this guy were having banter with each other and we were on this, on this project and there was a lot of pressure. And usually, you know, we don't handle pressure well. We respond to pressure differently. And for me and this guy, because of the pressure, we were getting at each other, getting in each other's face, saying things that we shouldn't be saying. And there was a lot of sort of money on the line on the project. It was a big project for a, uh, for a big steel manufacturer. And I remember one day he came up to borrow this piece of equipment I was using. But I, I wasn't using it at that point, but I had got it out to use it. And he said, oh, Dave, he said, can I, can I use that piece of equipment? I said, no, you can't. You're not using it. And suddenly... It came, it almost came to a flashpoint. And it was ready to explode. And he jumped up and he, he started going at me. I threw my, my gloves on the floor, jumped up in his face, and started screaming at him. And it was not a good situation. I mean, we were... Sh but it got to that point. Now, I know you've never had a situation like that. 
we're all too holy. But it got to that point, and I was screaming my head off, and he was screaming his head off, and suddenly the Holy Spirit came to me, not to him, because he wasn't born again. I was born again. I had Jesus in my heart, and I was behaving in the way that I was behaving. But listen, it is possible to behave like that even when you're a Christian. Think of Peter, he cut somebody's ear off. I haven't gone that far yet. <laughs> oh, no, forget that. Man, I get sick at the sight of blood. But so, look, we're just human beings trying to work our salvation out with fear and trembling. But it's what you do in the moment when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. You see, He's the teacher. He doesn't come, you know, in like a Bible school setting, does He? And say, right, everybody sit at your desks now. Have you got your notes and, and, and pencils ready? I am going to teach you. Do not sin, number one. He doesn't teach you like that. No, He comes to you when you're about to sin. Hey, Dave, how are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, nothing, God. Oh, really? Or He comes to you when you're about to do something that's really going to take your life off course. That's how He teaches you. In the raw ruggedness of life, and He comes up to me, He says, Hey, Dave, and I'm screaming my head off. I've discovered that I can have two, three conversations at once. I really have. I can, I can be shouting at the children. I can be talking peaceably to the Lord. And I can be trying to sort my mind out all in the same, all in the same moment. Hey, Dave. And I'm screaming at this man, and he's screaming at me. What are you doing, he said. What are you doing? <laughs> I, said, I said, Lord... What do you mean? And this is what he said. Apologize now. And then I'm not only having an argument with Jason, I'm having an argument with the Lord now. I don't want to apologize. You look, da, 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 and all the reasons come up. And this is all in the matter, all in a matter of moments. So I, I, I tell you now, I make my mistakes like you make yours. But I tell you now, I know when to listen to God. I do. It's really important. He doesn't mind us making mistakes. He doesn't, I wouldn't say he doesn't mind us cutting ears off. But he had to put that man's ear back on. But he didn't reject Peter for what he did. He doesn't mind us making big mess-ups. But we have to listen to him when he comes into that mess to give us instruction. He said, apologize right now. So I, I, I said, Jason, hold on a minute. Stop. And he stopped, screaming at me. I stopped screaming at him. And I said, oh, Jace. I said, mate, I said, you know I'm a Christian. I said, you know I love Jesus. Mate, I am really, really sorry for my behavior these last past few weeks. I'm so sorry. What The way I have been behaving 
is not the way that Jesus wants me to behave. It's wrong. It's not right. Jason, I am sorry. Please, will you forgive me? Do you know what? The guy starts crying, right? He starts crying, and then he begins to tell me that he's got problems in his marriage, that his children are really going through difficulties. I was oblivious to that. You see, sometimes people in your workplace, in your world, in your family, you just don't know what they've been battling with for the last six months that's given them a grouchy attitude, that's given them the, 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 the aggressive behavior that they've got. And that doesn't excuse it, but we've just got to, we've got to be aware that there are things, weights and burdens that people carry that we've got to be aware of. And you know what? That man at that moment prayed with me, prayed with me to ask Jesus into his life. And I believe that he's on that journey with, with Jesus. Don't be afraid to apologize. Don't be afraid to back up your steps. It's God's way. It may not be our way, but it's God's way. Amen. Amen. Over the next few weeks. Come on, James. You're awesome. You're awesome. I'll be there now. Wait by there. High five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'd say goodbye now. I'll say goodbye now. <laughs> He's fantastic absolutely fantastic. Listen, we're going to pray right now. And maybe today you're here in this place and you have never asked Jesus into your heart. Maybe the majority of us here have done that. That's okay. Or maybe today you're here and you, you realize that you've been away from God for a long time. Your, your life has wandered on a journey and it may not have been a good one, but you're here today. And you say, oh, Dave, do you know what? Today I want to start anew. I want to make a decision today where I'm just surrendering my life to Jesus again. Maybe that's going to be you today. I'm going to pray for you. But while our eyes are closed right now, you're here. And I want to give you an opportunity for this love to come in your heart, to come inside your heart. I don't know how Jesus does this, but when you simply call on the name of the Lord. The Bible says you are saved. So I'm going to pray right now in this moment for you to ask Jesus into your heart. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I believe that you've risen from the dead. I believe that you are alive. I believe that you want to forgive my sin. Lord, I ask you to forgive it. I ask you to forgive me to come and live on the inside of my heart. Amen. <laughs>